Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 359. After they found that name, their sleeping minds were roused and finding other names was easier. But some students had trouble finding the name of the wind. There were too few edges here, too little risk. So they would go off into the wild, uneducated lands. They would seek their fortunes, have adventures, hunt for secrets and treasure. He looked at me, but they were really looking for the name of the wind. Our conversation paused as someone came onto the bridge. It was a man with dark hair and a pinched face. He watched us from the corner of his eye without turning his head, and as he walked behind us, I tried not to think how easy it would be for him to push me off the bridge. Then he was past us. Elodin gave a weary sigh and continued. Things have changed. There are even fewer edges now than there were before. The world is less wild. There are fewer magics, more secrets, and only a handful of people who know the name of the wind. You know it, don't you? I asked. Elodin nodded. It changes from place to place, but I know how to listen for its changing shape. He laughed and clapped me on the shoulder. You should go. Chase the wind. Do not be afraid of the occasional risk. He smiled. In moderation. I swung my legs around, hopped off the thick wall, and resettled my loot and travel sack onto my shoulder. But as I started towards Imra, Elodin's voice stopped me. Quoth. I turned and saw Elodin lean forward over the side of the bridge. He grinned like a schoolboy. Spit for luck. Devi opened the door for me and widened her eyes in shock. My goodness, she said, pressing a piece of paper dramatically to her chest. I recognized it as one of the notes I left under her door. It's my secret admirer. I was trying to pay off my loan, I said. I made four trips. The walk is good for you, she said with a cheerful lack of sympathy as she motioned me inside, bolting the door behind me. The room smelled of... I sniffed. What is that? Her expression went rueful. It was supposed to be pear. I laid down my loot case and travel sack and took a seat at her desk. Despite my best intentions, my eyes were drawn to the charred black ring. Devi tossed her strawberry blonde hair and met my eye. Here for a rematch, she asked, her mouth curving. I can still take you, gram or no gram. I can take you while I'm dead asleep. That's the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. I have a thought, and it's that Devi does not want Quoth to get out of debt with her. So what if she's been avoiding him and that's why he hasn't been able to reach her? I think that's a reasonable, not-so-cracked plot theory. Well, how could she have known he was going to come looking for her? He showed up like he showed up unannounced the first time of the four. She couldn't have known he was going to show up. Yeah, yeah, just a thought, right? She has a vested interest in remaining uh, in Hawk or having Quoth remain in Hawk to her, so... Just a thought. Mm. So I have a theory that is also what I think is not such a cracked pot, but you may think is a cracked pot. And it's about the suspicious person on the bridge who could have pushed Quoth into the water, but didn't with the pinch face. I, I posit to you that this person has been um, maybe hired by Ambrose to like, find out what Quoth is up to. And so this guy was like watching Quoth, but he didn't do anything to him because Elodin was with him also. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I also think this is the guy who causes the shipwreck. Um, I'm pretty sure 
this guy shows up again. We'll 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 um, keep an eye out, Jordana. I think you're probably right. Uh, but I think this guy also boards the ship with them. I think there's a tossed off line about how they like have a new, they have like an extra sailor or something, but yes, I do think this is an Ambrose related thug. Yeah. That seems likely to me. Like who else do we know who would hire someone to spy on Quoth? I mean, I bet Nick thinks Lauren would do it. (laughs) I think Lauren wants to use Quoth. I don't think he wants to kill him. Oh, fair. I also just want to point out something about when Quoth, uh, there's a kind of a metaphor happening here. I think when Quoth looks at the mark on the table and the way Debbie responds to it, like this is going to be something that colors their relationship for the rest of their lives. I think the fact that one time they had such a bad falling out that it almost came to like physical violence or like, you know, sympathetic violence. And even though they've made up sympathetic violence, Sure. So my point is that even though they've made up, that's still between them and they can both like try and move past it as best they can, but it's always going to be there in the background. And I think that we all have those in our lives, right? Like moments in relationships we've had with people where someone has erred, someone has messed up. And even though you both try to make amends and try to move past it, like it still colors all your future interactions with that person. Yeah, that feels like something that could occur. Yeah, that's a very honest thing to throw into a relationship in a book. Uh, Just speaking about metaphors here as well, there's a line here that I think is very resonant. It's when Elodin is saying, um, things have changed. There are fewer edges now than there were before. Uh, The world is less wild. There are fewer magics. This is not a new idea in fantasy. I think uh, ever since Tolkien and possibly even before, there's been this idea that as the world becomes understood and less mysterious. And as you know, industry takes over and uh, commerce uh, and mystery leaves the world, then magic also leaves it. I think this is a pretty uh, conventional in the sense that like, it's a convention of the genre. But what I think is an interesting metaphor here is when he says only a handful of people who know the name of the wind Uh, I think that it means literally only a handful of people know the name of the wind in the sense of naming. But I also think that the name of the wind is a euphemism for like the understanding of magic. So like Elodin, for example, probably considers himself to know the name of the wind, even if he doesn't literally know the name, like to understand the name of the wind, to chase the wind is to chase this enlightenment is to the name of the wind is not just literally the name of the wind. It is like, the understanding of the old magics and that there are secret ways that the world functions that are no longer quite so obvious. And so to know the name of the wind is to be aware of that in addition to like literally and speaking air Seti and filling your lungs with, with air. Yeah. I think that's, that's very astute. And also like, in as much as this is like a thing that specifically students at the university do, I also think that it's just like something that we we should do as young people, right? Like there is absolutely merit to like going to a place like the university and like, you know, gathering knowledge and being, you know, in in this place where curiosity and discovery is encouraged and you're among like-minded people. But I think just as important is taking that attitude out into the world when you're a young person and like just like living in the world and seeing what living in the world is like and taking some risks and 
doing stuff that you're not going to be able to do when you're older and more settled. You know, that's why people take a gap year. It's why I wish I'd taken a gap year. You know, it's, it's, it's just like part of growing up that I think is really valuable and maybe undersold. I agree. I totally agree. I think that uh, the way that currently, at least anyway, in, in, in Canada, North America, they funnel people straight from school to, to, you know, whatever the next thing is, be it like work or, or, you know, post-grad work, um, post-grad school is like, yeah, I, there used to be a thing in, in Toronto called OAC, which was basically grade 13. Uh, and it was sort of like the transition from high school to, uh, to whatever the next thing is. Um, not exactly a gap year, but kind of in that same area, it was meant to be a transitional time. Um, and we don't have it anymore. And I think that's, it's uh, a shame. And I think that all, you know, taking time off, taking gap years, traveling, broadening your world is an important thing that sadly can't happen if you don't have the resources. Well, I mean, yes, absolutely. But even for those of us who do have the resources, like it's seen as damaging if you have like a gap on your resume where you weren't either at school or like at a job, right? Like if you're like not in work for a year, and someone's like interviewing you for a job, it's like, well, what were you doing? And if you say, oh, well, I, I, you know, I pissed off to New Zealand for a year and like surfed and worked as a bartender, you know, just because I wanted to like see a different part of the world, like that to a lot of people is going to come off like you're a slacker and a layabout. And we live in a culture where that's like not allowed or like frowned upon. And I think if we, if, we treated school as less of a pipeline into the workforce and more of a, this is the time in your life when you're the most free to learn and explore and discover and figure out who you are and where you fit into the world. Then we would have less of a problem with people interrupting their studies or taking time after their studies to do that. I suspect this is some of Rothfuss's personal ethos leaking through. Famously, Rothfuss was an eternal student uh, and, you know, he is famously taking his time on delivering the next chapter of this franchise. Which we don't uh, mind at all. Not at all. <laughs> we not say all. as the By red dots land on our foreheads. <laughs> it is 100% yeah. okay. But certainly, like, I, I think it's not too much of a stretch to say that a lot of the enrichment in Rothfuss's life came about as he was sort of in between states. And so I'm sure that he echoes that in in his in his magnum opus Mm -hmm. it's also worth i don't mean to like keep harping on this idea but it's also worth thinking about that it's like not a new idea either if you were like a young aristocrat from europe you know in the like 18th and 19th centuries it was expected that you know when you were kind of in your 20s after your formal education had finished uh or as part of your formal education you would sort of travel to Europe, especially if you were English, you would like travel to, you know, all the different parts of Europe with, you know, a couple of friends or with your like governess or whatever, and just like, you know, bounce around and like, you know, go spend, spend six months in Rome, darling, you know, see the Colosseum, you know, spend a, spend a few, a few days, you know, a few weeks in France, spend a few weeks in Spain, just like May, I would argue that that was less like frivolous time pass and more about like when you are at that 
social level, a, a important part of your future usefulness is the connections you have. So I would suspect that there is a, a fair bit of practicality involved in that uh, convention. Well, I mean, yes, and. Mm-hmm. Yes, and indeed, Jeremy. Mm. Yes, and indeed. Yes. Mm. Um, you, you mentioned harping on. I just thought it was interesting. Uh, this is a phrase that famously came from uh, the Marx brother. You may recall Groucho, who was a grouchy character. Uh, Chico, who was, of course, a woman. And Harpo, who just harped on and on about the most tedious things. So I this, think, of course, is where that phrase comes from. I think you're full of crap. I was going to say, this feels like a bit. <laughs> the Marx brothers never did bits, by the way. Oh no, they were famously <laughs> bit free. <laughs> they, they were one hundred percent bit free. Uh, nowadays we have thousands of bits. Mm-hmm. We have thirty-two bits. Sometimes we have bits and bytes. Oh yes, I take a bite out of bits. Mm. Okay, clearly we're going insane because we're just saying syllables. <laughs> we'll we'll take a bite out of your bit tomorrow on another page of the wind. wind.